The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
person sitting next to you, standing next to you, I'm chosen. Thank you, Don. Praise God. It is so good to be in church, is it not? It's such a blessing to get to do this. I do Saturday night first service and then this service, and every service is different. It's all unique, and it's all wonderful. It's so great to be part of this church. I'm going to be direct and to the point. Suppose I had a billion dollars that I promised to give you, and you know I'm good for it. You know I'm going to do it. I'm telling that right now, just go down to the bank, and I'll give it to you right now. How many would say, eh, maybe Tuesday? After finals or after I lose some weight, maybe this summer. I wager that none of us would say that. Why do you suppose that is? Because there are a thousand things that could happen between the sure thing right now and Tuesday, this summer, after finals. Why would you want to wait? And the truth is, a billion dollars will change your life. It's that country song, money won't make me happy, but it'll buy me a boat and a truck to haul it in or whatever. I don't listen to a lot of country music, as you can tell, but I always thought that was kind of funny. But a billion dollars will change your life, and not only will it change your life, it will change your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. If you're wise, like the Rockefellers, I mean, they're for generations and generations and generations. It's a big deal to have that. So you take it, because a wise and rational person knows that something could go wrong. There's zero upside to waiting. You run the risk of getting nothing. And to be compensated for that risk, what happens? You stay in your current financial situation, and you get nothing because you don't want to go down to the bank because you're too busy. So the Lord dropped this in my spirit a month ago. He said, when I was just telling me what to say the next time I stood up here, he said, tell them this. Today is the day of salvation. Tell the church to stop waiting. So accepting Jesus as your personal Savior will have far more impact on you than a billion dollars in cash. 
getting free from alcohol or pornography or gluttony or jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness, letting him deliver you from sin will have far bigger impact on your life than a billion dollars and your children's lives and your grandchildren's for generations to come. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. And if he doesn't return during your lifetime, that just means you'll meet him sooner than the rest of us. You do not have time to wait. None of us does. So if you're not born again, if you've not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, today is the day of salvation. Because you may not have tomorrow. And for those of us who are born again, but are still struggling with sin, the same thing applies. Today is the day of salvation. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you, and that power will drive the sin right out of your life. So stop holding on to it. Stop trying to do it in yourself because you can't. Give it to God and take a step of faith. And I know firsthand how this works. Your sin may not stop overnight, but your heart will change in an instant. And that will drive the sin from your life. You can never do it on your own. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You can't practice enough. You can't have enough willpower. Only the blood of Jesus can accomplish this. I didn't quit drinking overnight. I asked God for years to help me. But on December 15th, 2013, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I had a moment It changed my life, but I realized I can't handle alcohol at all. Not one sip, and I can't get free from it. At that instant, my heart changed, and I never had another drink. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that interesting? The only way to get free from something is to admit that you can't do it alone, and God will jump in there. Everything happens in your heart first. Salvation. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Deliverance from sin. Lord, in my heart, I ask you to take this sin out of my life. Take from me anything that displeases you. Because I'm telling you this, you'll never be able to live a godly life by yourself. But through him, you will. You'll never get free from sin by your own effort. But through him, you will. God is offering us far more than a billion dollars. He's offering salvation and healing deliverance and a victorious life through him in this world and joys unspeakable for all of eternity. Don't wait. Take what he's giving you because today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is your son sent to die for our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead on the third day and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We confess our sins to you and ask Jesus to come into our hearts. Change our hearts, O Lord, to be soft before you to hate evil, and to love what is good. Take from us anything that displeases you so that we can live a life worthy of the sacrifice of your Son. In the name of Jesus, we pray. According to babycenter.com, a website that obviously I spend a lot of time on, uh, the most popular baby names of 2022 so far are as follows. Top five girls, starting in, at number five, Sophia, Ava, Amelia, Emma, and at number one, Olivia, so far this year, as of Friday or Thursday or whenever it was. Uh, on the boys' side, number five is Mateo. Not Matt, not Matthew. Mateo is number five. Four is Elijah. Three is Oliver. Two is Liam. And number one is Noah. We have quite a few of those names within our church family. But according to another website, I found a list of the worst names of 2021. Now, if you named your kid one of these, 
I'm just going to make fun of you publicly. All right, that's just all there is to it. If you're listening on the radio, you're not going to see these on the screen. But that one up at the top left, A, B, C, D, I was told last night it's pronounced Absidy. Okay? 373 people registered that name last year. It means 373 people need to be slapped. But um, <laughs> that one on the top right, say it. Say it faster. Erica. Uh, see, because that it could be worse. Uh, the next one? Gee, I wonder when that child... Uh, you can finish that story. Um, okay, the bottom one? Seriously? All I can think of is the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, you know, it just you'd have your own little logo. It's that one right there that messes me up. Okay, some of you are trying to say Kavilan, which would be kind of pretty. Think Roman neutral, Roman numerals. V I I I is what? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh no. Yes, Caitlin. See, it could be worse. Uh, the, the, now the K and the C thing is not that important, is it? Uh, it could be that. Uh, there's a few names, though, that never make the most popular names list. Names like Hitler, Jezebel, Satan. Hi, this is my daughter Jezebel, my son Satan. You know, some of your parents may think that, but you know. And one other name that rarely shows up, Judas. He's recognized, even outside of the church world, as the betrayer. He's Darth Vader. He's uh, the Wrath of Khan. He's Thanos. He's the New York Yankees, all rolled into one. <laughs> we all know that's the evil empire, so we, uh, we, we, we have to be prepared there. But what if you and I look a lot more like Judas than we think? We're in this series called I Am. Uh, I am the characters of the Passion Week, uh, as that intro that Franklin and Brandon put together is so powerful, reminds us. Now, a lot of you might still be thinking, I'm going to do the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine and the true shepherd. And those are great sermons, but that's not what we're doing here. The I in this series is you and I. We are the characters in the Passion Week. The week of Passover for little Jerusalem, Jerusalem is probably 30 to 40,000 people, could swell to half a million people during Passover week. There's noise, there's animals, there's sacrifices, there's all kinds of things going on. How would that affect you? I want to look at the characters of that story and that week, and specifically Judas. As we celebrate Palm Sunday, Hosanna, I want to look at one of the main characters of this story. Now, I propose that Judas has some other parts that we probably haven't seen and we may not realize. We meet him first in Mark chapter 3. If you join us there, if you're online on the radio, thanks for joining Central Christian Church. Mark chapter 3, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. But I want you to hear this passage. Now, immediately when I start reading it, you're going to go, oh, I know this. But tune in and listen close. Mark chapter 3. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his, his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach. 
giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Bartholomew, Philip, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. There's a word we don't use with Judas very much, and it's this word, chosen. This really crawled all over me this week. Really spending time looking at the life of Judas. He was picked. That passage we just read, it said Jesus called them out. He chose who he wanted, and they followed him. They went with him. No matter what Jesus did later, or Judas did later in his life, Judas was chosen by the Master. Question. If you knew he was going to be the betrayer, and you had that knowledge, would you pick him? Being honest, probably not. If you, let's make it more, if you knew your best friend was going to stab you in the back, would you choose them to be your best friend? Of course not. Nobody would. We, I mean, humans, we wouldn't. But you see, Jesus did then. He chose Judas. He chose Judas knowing full well what he was capable of doing. He chose him. And guess what? He did the same thing with you and I. Scripture proves it. Uh, in John chapter 15 that Marie read earlier, you, do not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you that you would go and bear fruit. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And one of my favorites, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance. Long before you ever blew it, he was building the life that you're living right now. You have, cho you have been chosen even though he knows what you're capable of doing. He knows what you are capable of accomplishing and blowing it. You hearing me? I got this book recently called Freakonomics by Stephen Levitt. He tells the story of a guy named John Salagi, and that's the best I can pronounce his name. S-I-L-A-G-Y-I -I is his last name, Salagi. Uh, John Salagi, he worked in the IRS in the 1970s and 80s, and he did random audits for people. Now, 70s and 80s, that's going to be, that's pre-TurboTax, that's going to be, a big yellow notepad and a shoebox full of receipts time. You're, you're tracking? And, and he had done this for years, and he noticed over time that people were inflating the number of dependents so that they would get a bigger refund. You know, you would claim your dog and your cat and your neighbor's chickens for whatever. And we know none of you have ever done that. I'm not in any way saying that. But he figured it out. So he went to his bosses in 1981, and he suggested... I think it should be a rule that all people, including children, have to put their Social Security number on the, the forms. And he was met with joy? No. They almost ran him out of town, almost got him fired. He said that was a terrible idea. They all hated it. They said people wouldn't lie about stuff like that. And they, they even went so far as to say that sounds too much like George Orwell's 1984. It's too much Big Brother. <laughs> Some of you are getting the irony of that right now. And they almost fired him. But somehow his proposal made its way to Congress. And in 1986, 
Congress, U.S. Congress, liked it, and they made it a law. So starting in 1987, you had to put a child's Social Security number on your tax return before it was filed. And it wasn't until the next year, 1988, that the IRS was stunned when they found out 7 million dependents magically disappeared. Coincidence? I think not. People wouldn't lie about something like their children, would they? They wouldn't do something like that. Friends, Jesus knew all that Judas was capable of, and he chose him anyway. Jesus knew everything that Judas could do. He knew every sin that he could do. He knew every betrayal that he would give him, and he chose him anyway. Guess what? He does the exact same thing to you. He chose you and continues to choose you. The cross paid for Judas' sins, and it pays for all of mine, too. It's necessary. Now, you may not like it, but Judas was chosen. He was a chosen vessel of God. And you can try to deny it, but you have been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God for a specific work and a specific ministry. Now, we see Judas again in another place as a background guest. In Mark chapter 14, we get the story of the woman that brings the alabaster jar. And she comes in and she breaks it and pours this nard out on Jesus' feet. And it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful song, alabaster jar, that Franklin plays for us. And it's it's just a wonderful point where where Jesus is anointed. And it's in the Mark version That at the end of that story, it says some of the people that were there were indignant. They were upset that she was wasting that money or wasting that nard. It's in the Matthew account that it notes that it was the disciples that were upset. But it's in the John account. It's in the John account that they name names. The writer John says in John chapter 12 and verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Why would this act of love upset the apostles so much? Jesus had just told them the night before, care for those people around you. And and they knew to, to give alms to the poor in every place, but specifically the week of Passover. That happened a lot. Why would they why would they be so upset? Well, John gives us a little editorial in verse 6. Listen on there. He says, not that he cared for the poor. He meaning Judas Iscariot. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Scripture tells us that Judas wanted the money that that would have brought. Why would they be so upset about something like that? Maybe they had forgotten what they were there for. Maybe they've forgotten their real purpose. Staff Sergeant Thalamus Lewis was in eastern Afghanistan in October of 2012, October 4th specifically. He heard gunfire, a burst of gunfire, and a single round from an enemy's gun hit him in the head. It knocked him down. He was truly dazed. Later on when he was with Medivac, he said, I thought it was a flashbang or something. He didn't know what happened, but he was really disoriented. He couldn't see very clear. Uh, He was a little worried, and he had a massive headache, but he was alive. And they said, well, it was your ACH. 
I had to go look it up. An ACH is an advanced combat helmet. It's been developed by American companies with Kevlar and some other things. The purpose of this helmet is to take the velocity of that bullet. The job of the bullet is to kill. The helmet's job is to, not to save, it's to take that velocity and disperse it and move that speed around the head. So it rattled him, but he didn't kill him. He said, uh, th this guy, uh, Lewis, was a four... Uh, time had been on four different combat deployments in over 20 years of military service. And he said, we complained constantly about the, the weight of that helmet and the, the back, the pack and this vest and all of the weight that we had to carry. And it's just, it was, it's so hot. It's so miserable until October 4th. We didn't complain anymore because it did what it was supposed to do. It kept him alive. It did its job. He was a walking testimony to why that thing matters. Friends, have we forgotten that our main job is to make disciples? Our main job is to make disciples. The Bible never said make converts. The Bible never said grow the church. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. Go into all the world and preach his good news. But can I tell you, sometimes people get frustrated when there are programs that, that the church does that wants to go help people outside of the church. Is it easy? I'm not saying you say this. I'm saying, is it easy for some to say, well, why don't they just go get a job so we don't have it to give them money? You hearing me? Sometimes we get frustrated in the church and we moan about a push for evangelism. Oh, oh, I don't want to do that. That's, that's Don's job. That's Franklin's job. I, my job is just to come to church and put money in the boxes, right? No. Our job is evangelism. You might be, have been here for a while and you've heard us talk about L1 and L2, Law 1 and Law 2, love God, love others. Really, Don, you're still doing that? I mean, you haven't come up with some cuter taglines by now? That's kind of boring. You've done that one to pieces. You hearing me? Do we, get, do we get bothered by the things God called us to do? Tithing. Nobody likes it when a preacher talks about money, all right? But God is calling us to put him first in every part of our life. What about uh, prayer? We're coming up on National Day of Prayer, the first Thursday in May. We started the year with prayer, praying every day. Do you really seriously want us to keep doing this? Yeah, yeah I really do. Singing. Oh, what a joy. I, I, folks, you just don't understand how much I love playing with this team up here. Franklin's powerful and talented and puts great stuff together. And I love playing up here. But today, hearing you sing, I just took my earpieces out. The wave of energy coming back. That we are called to worship together. We're called to encourage and invite. We're called to serve. We're all called to serve. Everybody. Now, I've spent some time in the last few weeks looking at Judas' life. And, and most people want to ask the question, why would he do this? I'd like to propose some ideas that are, that are just mine from some research. But I want to throw out some ideas. But I want to start with this big lesson I learned this week. Spiritual maturity 
isn't really visible in people's lives until they don't get their way. Now, here's why I wanted to put that slide up there, and here's why I wanted this to, to matter. I believe Judas didn't get what he wanted. And here's why. His name, Judas Iscariot. Nobody really knows what it means. I looked it up in a lot of different resources. Nobody really knows. There's a lot of people that said it might have meant, it might have meant, man of Cariot. You know, like that's a lot of their names. So-and-so from this town. Don from Portalis kind of a thing. You know, it could have been the area from which he was born or raised. If that is true, if Judas Iscariot is a man of Cariot, Cariot is a town in southern Israel, southern Judah, actually, and it's not in the Galilee region. It would make him the only one of the disciples that was not a Galilean. So he's kind of an outsider. And also, this area of Judah was a hotbed for what was called zealots. Now, you saw in Mark chapter 3, we already had Simon the zealot, okay? But, but real zealots were a different kind of believer. And you can make this real, really matter by comparing it to current life in Muslim. You have some Muslim believers, and then you have some radical Muslims. Does that make sense? Well, a zealot was a radical Jew, and they wanted a political Messiah. They wanted somebody to overthrow this evil Roman government, get us back in charge. Now, if Judas is really from Cariot, and is, if he really is a zealot, look at what he has seen this week. Jesus, this... This preacher, he's been following for three and a half years. He rides into Jerusalem. Man, this is our week. This is Passover. We're going to make some changes. And he rides in on a donkey? That's not a king. That's not a warrior. That's not... He rides in and he's crying. Did you notice that? Jesus cries, oh, Jerusalem, you don't know what's coming. You don't understand what you're up against. And then on Monday... As if that wasn't bad enough, he rides in and these people are waving at him like he's some preacher. He's not this warrior king that, that Judas wants. On Monday, he runs people out of the temple. You remember when Jesus ran people out of the temple? He fashions a whip, he runs them out. Do you know who he ran out of the temple? He ran out Jews. Wait a minute. This preacher that I'm following and we're the Jews, you ran the Jews out of the temple? You didn't run the Romans out? Get rid of the Romans. And then this preacher has the unmitigated gall on Tuesday to talk about taxes. You remember the whole bit when Peter has a, has a coin? and he, he says, hey, Peter, what's it say on the coin? It says Caesar. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God's. Which, by the way, is the only reference to politics that Jesus ever makes is pay your taxes. And Judas is sitting there going, you want us to pay these awful Romans? They're the ones that are killing us all. They're the ones that are, you want us to do that? Have you lost your mind? And the same Jesus says, don't worry about the temple. I'll tear it down and rebuild it in three days. Now, we all know he's talking about his body. But, but a zealot, and that temple is the holy place of God. We should be back in charge. Now, twice in one day, Judas has heard him predict his own death. Could it be, would it be understandable that Judas is... Is frustrated. You hearing me? I'm not saying it's okay to betray him. That's not what I'm saying. Can you see that he could have been frustrated? I think it's very possible that his expectations and the reality were not matching. Question. How do you react when you don't get your way? 
Mature Christians try to measure expectations. Judas didn't. And in that one statement, I believe that's where we get the sermon title, I am Judas. Sometimes I get my expectations over here and the reality is over here. Anybody? You hearing me? You can nod if you want to. I can see it in your eyes. All right. I got this book uh, called Fight Like Jesus. His name, uh, the author's name is Jason Porterfield. I want to share this paragraph with you. Listen to this. Dashed expectations bring out the worst in all of us. Let's say that again. Dashed expectations bring out the worst in all of us. In fact, numerous studies have identified crushed expectations as a leading cause of why people go- join terrorist groups. The terrorists who hijacked planes on September 11th, for example, were not poor, uneducated Muslims. They were university graduates graduates who were unable to find employment upon returning home. Likewise, most Palestinian suicide bombers during the intifadas of 1988 and 2000 were unemployed college graduates. They'd gone off to America, they got their degree, they came back home, and there was no jobs for them. But there were these radical groups nearby that started swallowing them in. Failed expectations led to anger. Anger leads to rage. Now you're sitting there going, okay, Don, are you telling me that if we go to the restaurant after church and they mess up my order, I'm going to become a terrorist? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Well, I hope not. Uh, maybe you need to stay here and not go to the restaurant if that be the case. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that how do you react when things don't go the way you think they ought to go? Are you going to throw a fit? Are you going to throw a tantrum? And much has been made about the 30 pieces of silver, the price of betrayal. Did you know that according to Exodus 21, that is the exact price of a wounded slave? Exodus 21, 34, you can look it up. If my bull gets out and gores your slave, i got to pay you 30 pieces of silver. That's the exact price that they paid for Jesus. And it was the first offer that the religious leaders gave. And he took it? Come on. Has he never been to a garage sale? You don't take the first offer. Negotiate a little bit. And we're not even sure what kind of silver, but even the highest grade of silver is probably only worth three or $400. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but it's not life-changing. It's not a billion. It's not going to retire to the Bahamas on this. The offer was a joke, both symbolically and monetarily. And note, some people want to say the reason Judas betrayed Jesus was because of greed. Problem. If you look real closely, Judas betrayed Jesus in all of the accounts prior to any money being discussed. Before money was ever discussed. In fact, two of the accounts, the people offer up the money. We'll give you the 30 pieces of silver. And he took it. It's like they were saying, well, we hate Jesus, but he's not even worth a a wounded slave. Why then, stick with me, we're just about done. Why then would a chosen one, a chosen follower of Jesus, one that Jesus knew, one that had listened to all these sermons for three and a half years, why would Jesus, Judas, betray him? Maybe the answer isn't as much in Scripture as it is in the mirror. Because I am Judas. 
I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. True? We're just saying that. You sounded glorious. But much like Paul in another passage in Romans 7 where he says, all the things I want to do, I don't do those things. All the stuff I'm not supposed to do and I don't want to do, I end up doing those things. Remember that passage? Anybody relate to that passage? That, how come I keep doing the dumb things and I don't do the smart things? Because I am Judas. Did you notice, back to the alabaster jar, did you notice that Mary gave this beautiful gift, this expensive gift to Jesus, Mary of Bethany? And did you notice who criticized it most? Maybe I am Judas. It's a sad truth in church work that criticism often comes from people doing the least. Isn't it interesting to me that people that don't go to church frequently have comments about the church? Uh, people that don't read the Bible frequently post things on social media about in, inconsistencies in the Bible or something that they've seen on Facebook that, oh my goodness, they're changing the Bible. These people are all out. They're terrible. Have you seen those kind of things? Though they're, they're not reading the Bible themselves, but they're seeing it on Facebook. Sometimes those unwilling to help are often the first ones that blame people when things go haywire. Maybe I am Judas. Friends, I don't ever want to call you or me Judas. I don't want to name us that. That should not be our name. But we have a lot of characteristics in common with the famed betrayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Oh, yeah? You see, and I've been saying through this whole series, when I look in the mirror, I want to see Jesus. Sadly, sometimes I see Judas. A couple weeks ago, sadly, I see Peter. Sadly, last week, it was Nicodemus. Sadly, I see these characters, their doubts, their betrayals, and I don't see as much Jesus as I'd like in my mirror. Do you realize that Peter and Judas committed the exact same sin on the exact same night? They both betrayed Jesus. It's, it's, the, it's there. Very, very clear. Both guys had been with Jesus the exact same amount of time. Both guys had heard all those sermons. Both guys had the forgiveness that Jesus had been offering, the grace that he had been talking about, the kingdom that, that he had spoken years around about. He had heard, they had heard all of this, but one was so swallowed by the guilt that he went out and killed himself. And one was so amazed by the grace that he went on to become one of the greatest preachers in the history of mankind. He went on to lead others to Jesus because that's our job. We are called to make disciples. We are called to look like Jesus and point others to Jesus. Listen to me real close. I don't want you to any, invite anybody to church for next week. I want you to point them to Jesus. Now, having said that, this week, this Passion Week, there are a lot of people that don't go to church that have a little church in their mind. You're trekking with me? They're, they're a little more listening to that idea. Yes, it's mixed with the Easter bunny and the eggs and the whole weird, you know. 
I want you to talk to them about Jesus. Don't just invite them to church. I want, them to, I want us to point them to Jesus. I don't want to be Judas. I don't want to be a betrayer. I don't want to be... You hearing me? But we are chosen, just like Judas was, to be his disciple and to make disciples for Jesus. Let's point them to him. Pray with me. God, you are our healer. You are our protector and our provider. And Father, you offer mercy and grace. And I'm overwhelmed by that. Father, I pray that we hear we are chosen and that you have never abandoned us, you've never forsaken us, you've never given up on us, even though you know we'll blow it. You factored all that stuff in when you called us. So open our eyes to your greatness and help us to point others to you. That we would name your name Savior, Redeemer, and Friend. We are who you called us to be. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.